0: Welcome to another podcast from Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club of California. Get tickets to upcoming live or online events at commonwealthclub.org slash Inforum. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at inforumsf. And now here's our program. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm so happy to be here with Angela Garbez um, to talk about her important new book, Essential Labor, Mothering a Social Change. The club would also like to thank the Bernard Osher Foundation for supporting today's Good Lit event. Um, Angela, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) I wanted to start off by telling you what I was doing when I started reading your book. Okay. um, Which was that I was roasting poblano peppers. Mm -hmm. And the reason I mentioned that is because it's I like, as I was reading and I was like, this is like, there's no reason really to like, there's no utilitarian reason to roast poblano peppers. It takes forever. Uh-huh. It's kind of labor intensive, but it's like delicious. Mm-hmm. And like, I want it. Um, and that's kind of like, I really appreciate the way like desire informs this book, like the desire to, or and the audacity to desire, like a better life, like a mm. better collective life. Um, and you write or you ask how under our current circumstances, that leave mothers and caregivers so depleted? Might we demand more from American family life? Raising children should not be as lonely, bankrupting, and exhausting as it is. So I was wondering if maybe you wanted to just talk about like the desire that motivated you to even write this book and what you're responding to.
1: Sure. Um, wait, I wanted to ask, though, were you like making like chili rellenos or were you just um, like or were you just like chopping it up for a
0: i was dish? chopping it up because i'm uh my boyfriend and i have been very obsessed with the rancho gordo cookbook lately oh, uh-huh. variant of beans yeah. yeah um and the one of the authors of that book swears by just like throwing some poblano peppers and with some beans in a very sort of unstructured way.
1: But right, but to roast them first, first and they get them smoky flavor. Okay, yeah, highly recommend. Just, just curious, more <laughs> kind of detail on that. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I, um, yeah, I mean it's interesting. Like when you read that to me, I was like, oh, that sounds depressing. And then it was like the, to to have the <laughs> like wherewithal to then be like to demand something. I think that there's like there's a few things happening in there. I think for me, like emotionally. Um, I mean, the care crisis that we talk about um, and that everyone began talking about in earnest during the pandemic, um, it predates the pandemic and it will outlast the pandemic. So um, like for me, I like I've known this, but like the first four months of the pandemic were it was just like 24-7 me and my children and my spouse in our house. And it was just so much us it was really (laughs) it was really hard and you know i i wasn't able to write during that time Um, and i had a book deadline of july 2020 and i knew by april that there was no way i was going to meet that deadline so i had a lot of um i was caught up in a lot of grief around like this loss of my creative life um i also felt very strongly that like writing a book or an article was not that important in like when faced with like keeping my family safe and my community safe. And so I was like taking care of them is the most important thing I could be doing right now. But I felt like, you know, that sort of what you were talking about, that pleasure of like roasting peppers or, or, you know, like tending to people, like touching, like all of it just felt um, I used to take such pleasure in that. And I just felt like I was watching the pleasure and like the color in my life, just like drain. Yeah. And I felt like I was just this caregiver, you know, and and nothing else. And so I was had those bad feelings. (laughs) Um, And then around that time, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were hearing about talking about essential laborers like healthcare workers and transportation and sanitation workers who are absolutely essential. But I was feeling like, what about what about me? (laughs) What about mothers? What about parents? Because, you know, we're all working around the clock, you know, and professional jobs on top of caregiving. Um, so I just felt like it doesn't, I, I, in the pandemic again, like I think it broadened it so that more people were engaged in this question of like, cause we were seeing that the care structure, which especially with children, you know, the idea is until your child is age six, like you're just entirely on your own to figure out, um, how to take care of them, like where they should go during the day, like if you have a job. And so like that sort of really paltry care structure under the pandemic was revealed to be wildly, uh, unsustainable and like inhumane. So, um, so I was wrestling with all of those things. And I just felt like, I just feel so strongly, like it doesn't like American life just doesn't have to be this hard. Yeah. Like what we have normalized is it's so hard and people are working like two, three jobs and they still can't make ends meet. Like there's, it feels increasingly like there's no way to, um, like forget getting ahead. You know, it's like, there's no way to just, like, like treading water is what like, you're doing. stay afloat, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm angry about that. Yeah, <laughs> And so I think there's an element in there where, like, I wanted to, to, you know, make meaning from the care work I was doing because I believed that it was really important. And I also needed to remind myself of, like, the pleasure that, that is in that, right? And um, I don't know, like, in writing this book, I was just thinking about the world that I want to have, the world that I want my daughters to grow up in so that was that was a big part of what was informing it um and then i think there's also this element where um again like in this like like other countries provide paid leave right other countries provide healthcare maybe they don't do they don't do all of these things but there's like affordable childcare education right these are human rights that in the united states are like privatized and, and tied to working and that's i it just think that's wrong it's so weird (laughs) to me that that is wrong and so this element of like demanding I think is really we are just living in such a specifically bad time and I felt like not say not naming it as such and not like demanding more from American family life or just from life in general um it feel I I think I sort of feel like I'm complicit in it if I don't say Mm -hmm. this is really bad and we deserve better yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: totally i I don't read that sentence as depressing by the way i like <laughs> i I feel like I needed you i needed your demand because it made me realize like I actually was sort of ashamed that like I don't have children, and one of the reasons I haven't had them so far is that I kind of accepted all of what you just described and like, well, that sucks. And like, I just don't want to, I, yeah. I, my reaction was like, roll over and die. Your reaction was like, I think it should be different.
1: Um, so. Well, I think it's also because I already have them. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I can't actually yeah. roll over and yeah. die. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, Even though I have at times wanted that and to no. me, like, the depressing part is the first part of that sentence, which is yeah. like, it is exhausting. It's bankrupting. Like currently. Yeah. 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 And it shouldn't be. Yeah. It's like actually, you know, we're like contributing to the parents are contributing to the continuation of our species. <laughs> I Yeah. Like, it seems like we should celebrate that and support it. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was really refreshing too, that, you know, it's not, well, first of all, your sort of definition of mothering as opposed to like the sort of like, uh, specifically like female or like mo- literally mother, you know, yeah. um, kind of definition, but also that it's, I don't know. I feel like sometimes like the two things that you tie together in this book, I feel like I've only seen them really talked about separately. Like one is like essential workers and essential work of the type that we talked about, you know, a lot more during the pandemic. And then the other is like, like, I feel like sometimes like mothering gets talked about in this really kind of like glorifying way. That's Mm. like, oh, you know, like, you know, it's a romanticized. Yes. And they're not talked about together.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way that we romanticize motherhood is really divorced from reality (laughs) and it's also you know but it but it also it's you it's it's actually like a a double-edged sword or like it's it's divorced from reality but then it's also this standard that for some reason people still feel like they have to live up to you know this idea like i get a lot of questions about mom guilt right because people are like i feel like i'm not doing a good enough job and um i don't know i feel like those are all external things like so the idea that you're supposed to enjoy this work which is incredibly tedious and repetitive and never ending. <laughs> um yeah, it just feels really there's just no there's no winning. Yeah. You know, there's no having it all. It's really um Yeah, but can you I mean, I want to talk more about that like Yeah. Your thoughts on like putting those two things together? I mean, I think
0: the I I don't know. I was really um moved by the parts especially about your family because I was thinking about my family um my my mother and her you know that part of my family also immigrated from the philippines um everyone except for my mom is in like some kind of nursing or like medical healthcare kind of thing um and i feel like it's not super common knowledge like the sort of relationship of the u.s to the philippines and the, the biggest export of the philippines is labor yes um so i i thought that that was a really like meaningful way to tie together these things that are normally talked about separately
1: yeah i mean i was when i had i had written this book a proposal for this book and um i was like oh it's just essays on mothering and caregiving and something about social change and you know i was like (laughs) i'm just an essayist and um, my editor who was the editor for my first book was like I love the idea of this. She was like, but girl, like you need a narrative arc. Right? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I mean, one of my f- former editors is here in the audience. Um, so I love editors. And she was like, what if we did like the first half of the book is kind of a history of caregiving in America. Like, how did we get to this place, this place being the pandemic mm-hmm. where we all now see that the most important, like without people to take care of our children and our disabled and our sick, like society falls apart. Right. And she was like, How did we get here? And we're demanding this work for free of mothers or for free or for very, very low wages for from women of color. Mm -hmm. Um and then the second half was going to be more forward looking, which it is in the book, like more forward looking about like, how can mothering be a force for social change and sort of like looking towards the future? Um so I was like, okay, that's what I'm gonna write. And then I was like paralyzed for a month because I was like how how am I going to do this? Like, how do I write, (laughs) how am I actually going to write a history of caregiving in the United States? It's really complicated. Yeah. Um, and also there's just no way that you can do it without grappling with slavery, Mm. which is the the number one reason why we think like domestic work should be free and done Mm. by women of color. Mm. Um, and like, I use a lot of personal narrative. So I was like, I'm not sure that I'm the person I can like, Mm. I don't know if I can tell this history the way that I would like to. And so I had never, um, I had not planned to write about my family at all, like that wasn't part of it. And what happened was that um, there's this statistic that will like never leave my body, like the way it landed. Um, so during the during the pandemic, I saw. So I guess a little background, like so my mom my mom is a nurse, um, and she and my father moved to the United States in 1971. And this sort of like history that we don't talk about enough is that the Philippines was an American colony for the first half of the 20th century. Um, and so, and this was uh, like, this that poem that Rudyard Kipling wrote, The White Man's Burden, it was about the United States presence in the Philippines. Um, so like civilizing the little brown brother, mm. um, benevolent assimilation, all of that. Um, so the reason why my, like my father speaks three languages and my mom is bilingual because The United States um, created basically an American-style public education system where everyone spoke English. And then they created medical schools and nursing schools, and they presented it as a way, like a path towards economic prosperity. But, you know, internally, Americans talked about it as a way of sanitizing, like sanitizing brown people who are inherently backward and inherently diseased and primitive. Um, So... And then they had not like the United States had not been allowing, uh, you know, large numbers of immigration from Asia, from other countries, but also including the Philippines until there was a nursing shortage <laughs> and there was a healthcare worker shortage after World War Two. And then they were like, OK, like, we'll let we'll let people in, but only highly skilled immigrants. And so my parents qualified for that. So that's like the family history that I ended up going into. But to go back to the statistic which was sort of the moment that everything came together for me and when i realized this is how it's all gonna work um so the statistic is that there, are um so philippinex nurses are four percent of the nursing workforce in the united states and they're 34 percent of covid related nursing deaths which is just like it's devastating you know like and i was like this could be my mom like this, like, is my mom in some ways, right? This is, like, so many people, like, that I know and love. And and that's when I was like, oh, like, this is the story that I can tell about caregiving because it is the same forces, right? It's colonization, it's capitalism, it's white supremacy. And so, like, I cannot tell the story of my enslaved ancestors. Like, that's not my story to tell. But, um, like, the F- Filipino-American history is one that we just don't really... Um, reckon with you know in the American colonial legacy and so that's when I was like I felt like it's really gratifying as a writer when you get to that moment when you're like I am (laughs) cooking with gas now (laughs) this is it and everything kind of like came together in that way Yeah. yeah 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 and I hadn't really thought about it I had always known you know this sort of story of my family but we had not really I mean, clearly, like, my parents were not like, let's talk about colonialism. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it was either. really <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, they kind of took it for granted. And they also were the first people to be like, we came to America for a better life. And look, like, we're upper middle class now. Like, yeah. we didn't, we came with nothing and they worked really hard. But so that, like, that immigrant narrative um, is really strong within my own family. And so kind of like digging it up and and questioning it or really like like trying to examine it was a was a more emotionally difficult process than i was, anticipating. I was gonna say is that painful i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah totally i mean i don't know like it's but i feel really it i don't it yes but i feel like so much of like a lot of really good work is kind of painful yeah. right like and then also sort of healing yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i mean for me (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and i also i
0: the part where you sort of mention like you know kind of like finally talking to your parents about things that were not you had not talked about and they're kind of starting to open up like if you approach it from a certain angle like i've sort of been having that relationship with my mom lately and Mm -hmm. so it was really nice to like be experiencing that while reading this because there's also like you know parts of this history that like i don't know about, or that mm. I haven't asked my mom about, but, or, but then when I kind of go back and think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's all there. Like when you can see like the sort of like forces of history, like playing right. out in your family and in your person. Yeah.
1: yeah. And there was no way to know that as a child. Right. And I think for my parents too, they were just like, look, we're like here in this new country. We're just trying to survive. Like, can we not question like <laughs> everything about like, our family life and why we're here? You know, yeah. I think it was really... Yeah. And I think also to be to talk about my parents as we have these conversations where I was like, well, I I mean, the system that brought you here is inherently exploitative. Right. (laughs) And, and, you know, my dad was like, sure. Yes. You know, um, but then he was also like, oh, but it's really no different from people who go to like medical school and then have to like pay back debt, you know, like because I mean, my parents were recruited to go to come to the United States and they were like advanced money. I mean, they weren't like their moving costs and their plane tickets weren't paid for. They came to the United States and then that money was withdrawn from their first paychecks, you know. And I was like, that's that's actually not the same as paying a student loan. Like I was like, you know, it's explaining that to my dad. And it was. um, Yeah, I mean, I think like we're still in conversation. I, I feel like in some ways I kind of ambushed them. Like I was really clear with them that I wanted to interview them and we talked about it. And I tried to explain what I was trying to do in the book as much as I could even though I wasn't totally sure mm-hmm. um but I think it's I I think it's a conversation we'll be having for years most yeah. likely like there is no easy resolution to it
0: yeah yeah and I think maybe even in general I I've been thinking a lot about how for anyone it's probably hard to ask or talk about things that have to do with care because it's so associated, it's so hidden. It's, like, so associated with, like, shame, you know, in a way. And, like, I was thinking about how, like, my mom has, like, always, always, like, helped me in these sort of, like, like i don't want to say like furtive but like Mm. you know it's like she's like behind the scenes Uh like making it all right you know and then i am just supposed to look appear perfect you know Mm. and it's like as opposed to like acknowledging that structure and like celebrating and and having it be like in the foreground yeah and i think yeah so there's like a lot that comes up i think for when when people start to actually look at
1: that yeah i mean when you start to actually talk about care people get uncomfortable really quickly um i think partly because to talk about care is to say like i am a human being who has needs so that's also like so your ultimate first of all you're putting yourself in a place of like vulnerability and asking everyone else to acknowledge their vulnerability which generally as americans we're just not very good at that. <laughs> um, and so and then i also think you know the work of caring for children and caring for the elderly right like and disabled people like we outsource that um and then i think people have kind of class guilt around that and shame and get really weird. Like, I mean, I've done interviews with women who are like, I'm just like, I'm that bougie white lady with a nanny and it's super awkward, but I'm like, yeah, like, but I, if you can afford help, like I, I think it, I'm happy for you (laughs) that you can do that. I think we should talk about how we honor that work and pay people a living wage because, you know, domestic workers are, um, so like the median wage for like workers across the country is close to $20 an hour, but the median wage for domestic workers is closer to 12. Like there's a very severe drop off. And then nannies are the lowest paid. The median um, wage for them is $11 and 60 cents an hour. So it's, you know, it's not on an individual like the white bougie lady with the nanny to like solve this, (laughs) but it's, I don't think we can even come close to doing that if we don't talk about it. But the idea of like admitting that you need help is there's like some shame around that.
0: Yeah. And it's very Uh. bodily. Like yeah. I really, I so appreciated how like physical this whole book was. I also was like hungry the whole time. <laughs> because I keep mentioning food. That sounds really delicious. <laughs> um, but like, it's, <clears throat> yeah, it's very, um, yeah, it's visceral. And it is like the, it's like the emotional, like mind body that needs support mm-hmm. from someone or something.
1: Yeah. I think a lot too about how, um, like how do we value care work and part of what makes it really beautiful like people who have done caregiving um like there's just like a there's a really beautiful i mean it's messy it's like physically demanding but there's like a very tremendous satisfaction um and something really beautiful that's in it but it's also especially when caring for young children like i remember there's this book that i love this novel called the golden state by a friend of mine named lydia Keesling and there's this scene where she's talking about how um I don't know. She like calms her toddler. I don't know if it's like with a string cheese or she does something or there's like a song or there's something that she says. And then she she talks about how the mom is like, has this very specific moment of grief for this like honey specific knowledge. The child's name is honey. Sorry. (laughs) Honey specific knowledge um, that's like not going to last. Mm. Like, so there's something about care that's so ephemeral, right? It goes away. And like that is very, very deep bodily knowledge and then the child changes mm. and it just like, and so there's no, it's really hard to talk about. Um, so I think there's like a challenge in talking about care work. First of all, even as caregivers.
0: Yeah, uh, totally. Um, that reminds me of, I, I mentioned this <clears> to <throat> you
1: earlier, but I, I
0: wanted to talk about like sort of some of the way things that you're redefining or maybe like expanding the definition of. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them I think is just language, like what, language is or maybe communication is like a better yeah. term um especially in the chapter we talk about sort of like body bodyfulness
1: which is something yeah. i forget whose term that was but a woman yeah. named christine caldwell yeah, yeah. She's like a somatic therapist in boulder colorado <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. She, i think she teaches at naropa yeah 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 yeah
0: um but yeah maybe yeah maybe we can start with that just to sort of like what what can be communicated or like what even is communication
1: Yeah. I mean, I think about it. I I think I I also want to name that there's like all these parallels between I mean, clearly the book is mostly about caring for children, but I am really interested in continuing to like not privilege one type of care over another. And so I think there's there's a lot of parallels between caring for children and caring for someone like towards the end of their life (laughs) or like in as they get older. Um, But I think about how we are born without language, like we don't have words. Um, And I think about how children, you can say to a baby, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. Like, they don't know what you're talking about, right? (laughs) Like, the only way that, like, really that you can show some, and I mean, this is true for adults. Like, the only way to really show love and really convey it is by doing, right? It's like acts of attention to the body. And so I think about that and how, um, yeah, like my, so much of, like, Caring for my daughters and, and telling them things, or things that I'm doing with my body, and I think about how my mother, who um, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't talk about, <laughs> and I think partly it's because we're so different. We grew up in different cultures, but also my mom doesn't speak English as her, her first language, and I feel like the way my mom conveys love is much more demonstrative, mm. um, by cooking, by cleaning, or like there's an extended scene in the book about. I mean, she did this for me, and I my favorite thing in the whole world to do is to clean earwax out of my daughter's ears. (laughs) And it's just like, it's the way like I can, like when I think about that, like I, I know that I am loved. Like, yes, because my mom told me that, but because I remember what it was like to just like have my head in her lap and like be held. Yeah. You know, it's like a thing that my body knows. Yeah. Um, Like more than anything else, like that she's ever said to me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I'm, I talk about it too in the book in the sense of like I like dance is really important to me and movement and I feel like seeing somebody move through the world I love like when someone does something and I'm like oh like only you could do that you know like this strange thing that you're doing or this beautiful thing you're doing (laughs) with your arm right um and I also think like yes like verbal and clearly I'm a writer so I've you know um drank the kool-aid that like language is good and cool and like <laughs> a great way to like convey what you're thinking and feeling but um yeah I just think that but I but really like body language is so we don't talk about that enough either mm-hmm. like so much of how we communicate with people is based in nonverbal cues um so those were all things that I was thinking about and this term bodyfulness it was interesting to me because she was bringing it up as a you know, sort of like a counter to mindfulness, where she was like, we, we can't ignore the body. In Mm -hmm. fact, like the body is always working. And so it's this idea that um, thinking and having words is important, yes, but it is no less important than like the, the sort of like bottom up, like perception and sensory perception that the body is doing. And how can you not privilege one form of language over the other? I guess that's sort of where I'm landing on that, like wanting to figure out how to, how to have both
0: yeah i think there's like a part at the end of that chapter where you say we we teach children that they should speak their minds but we should also teach them to speak their bodies yeah um and i was like oh god i wish i could just like you know if there's one thing that i could just like have everyone just learn like all at the same time that would uh that would be it but um yeah and then i think another term that i i saw being redefined is like freedom Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like, uh, because there's, a, you know, there's a sort of neoliberal freedom, like freedom right. from others, yes. Um, which I feel like is very tied to like a nuclear family unit, which is also something that you're expanding a- away from in this book. Yeah. Um, and you know, like economic, like I don't know, consumer choice maybe is like, uh, is that form of freedom? And then there's this other form of freedom, which is like, I guess I would describe it as like freedom from fear um mm. and like our sense of security and it, you you quote me a bird song yeah um, kind of talking about like freedom originally meant like having everything that we need together yeah like a like a space of like safety
1: yeah. yeah yeah i mean that was a very um that's a really powerful so mia bird song who's a bay area writer and activist and just very cool person <laughs> um she wrote this book called how we show up um and i can't remember the full subtitle but it's like reimagining community and
0: something like something that. like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Um, but she talks about how like the root word of freedom and friend is Freya. Um, I think it's like Indo-European. Um, and it, it was really, it means beloved. And the idea was that freedom, like through connection is how we can guarantee that we have everything that we need food, security, safety, like all of those human rights. Right. Mm-hmm. That we were talking, that I was talking about at the beginning. Um, and so, and she offers that as a way of countering, like, our def, our general definition of freedom in America is to be unburdened by others and to be able to do, like, whatever I want, whenever I want, right? <laughs> and that's actually, like, a betrayal of what, like, the original meaning is. And she urges us to, like, rediscover that mm-hmm. and that the way that we can take care of each other is by, and have all we need is by, do, the only way to do it is by doing it together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, like, one of the, like, you know, I feel like one of the big, themes of the book is interdependence yeah. you know that we just need each other all so desperately yeah. right? and, but, yeah. but we all seem to think that we don't or we try to do it without each other and i really just want us to all like i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> like is yeah. it that we need each other yeah. like help each other
0: yeah i mean there's like some irony to me in the fact that like if you were to sort of like score really high on the like one scale of freedom you're probably not doing so well in the other one. You know what I mean? Right, like yeah. like someone who is like free in a certain way could grow up to be so unfree. Yes. Like in and of, in themselves. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and not not be able to like find a sense of security or ask for help or ask for like accommodations or like anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then oh, there was one other one that I. Uh, oh, yes. Um, like just uh, like like what a family is like because it's obviously like it's really non-nuclear like what you're talking about and and i it made me think of um acorn woodpeckers and you also have a lot of really great examples from ecology in this book which yeah. i obviously love but <laughs> um but acorn woodpeckers have um like a lot of helpers in there they have like these big like gr- like sort of loose groups like i don't know if you've ever i don't know if you have them up there and i i don't know they're, they're mm-hmm. very noisy. They kind of sound like monkeyish, and they always sound like they're laughing all the time <laughs> and they're in these big groups and they cl- have all this drama all the time. Okay. I think because of the like large social groups. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, the way they sort of take care of young is very, you know, there's a lot of like allo parenting or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. Like, um, and so, uh, I just, I was thinking of that because it's like, there's, there's a way in which like when you start to question conventions about things that are as prevalent as, like, a family, like, it actually, you realize that there are, like, so many other ways that it could be.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's really, um, I mean, and I live in, like, a, I'm, like, a straight woman who's in, like, a, like, monogamous marriage with a cis-hetero white man, right? So it's very, like, I'm not exactly bucking the system here, right? Like, <laughs> but I think about how there are all these um, other examples out there, right? Like, it is... And I, I think also I'm like, well, maybe if I had been raised in a different way or like if we had a if the culture was different, like maybe my life wouldn't look like this. Like it's and it's I'm not trying to like I'm not going to make like a midlife pivot at this point. Like <laughs> I'm pretty happy <laughs> like in my life and my relationship. Um, I'm very secure in that. And it's actually one of the most freeing things in yeah. my life is my marriage. But um, but I think about how like. I don't know. Like, I I think that maybe I would have, like, wanted something different, right? Or wanted more. And I think that, like, our children can have that. And I also saw, like, in the pandemic, like, the whole idea of having a pod, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that to me is people being like, I can't do this by myself. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to survive. And it was people being like, I want to help you. And what's good for you is good for me. And what's good for us is, like, good for our children. And I, like, I just don't want to lose that. I feel like... We didn't call it, like, this interdependence, but, like, I just see around me all the time. And, like, the way that people are talking about mutual aid, like, suddenly there's all these little free libraries, more in my neighborhood. Like, there's community fridges. Like, all of this is, like, what I'm talking about, of, like, this idea of opening up family and community. Um, I was also thinking about when you were talking about the acorn woodpeckers, there are these leafcutter ants. Do you know leafcutter ants? They're big. They're The time that I became, like got really into them was when i was traveling in south america and they're big ants and they'll be carrying like large like i mean if i'm the ant right like (laughs) then the leaf is like yeah this big and you see them like and they're in these large things so my when my husband and i were traveling we were like what's the deal with these ants like we have to like deep dive on this and so they have a very complex social structure and it's very moving to me and i i see this too in um in orcas, um, which are like native to the northwest, but they don't like put the old folks in a home and like just you know like the old leafcutter ants <laughs> are like they are the people who like those leaves like they compost it in the garden and they have this special kind of mold that they need to do their work and the old people are like the people who like the old ants sorry, <laughs> sorry 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 <laughs> I feel like I'm like dissing the ants here but so they they have these jobs where they're like tending to the garden. Of the compost and then they also help out with childcare right yeah. and so like with the little sorry ant care <laughs> and, but so also in so the orca whales they um after what they're one of the only mammals that experienced menopause right but so the old the the older postmenopausal females um they are seen as navigators and they're seen as like they they also do a lot to like train the young and so it just these examples in nature um which and like this is part of the book and a lot of it i have to say is like i was really inspired by your work you know to see like there are all these other things around us that if we stop and look like there's so many ideas that people like creatures and living things have been like have wise systems that make sense and we could really like we have not figured anything out like as a society yeah like we would do really well to like take a page from you know the leaf ants, or the you know like or just to try things right like, especially yeah. around like family life and care um i feel like i maybe yeah. lost the thread here a little bit but oh <laughs>
0: no i mean i i think i we you and i probably relied on examples from ecology for the same reason which is that it's it's we just need like images of something else mm-hmm. than like you know like Mia Birdsong says like we need a different American dream like we yes. need it. like I just need a model that looks different yeah from and it's I mean like I think about this stuff all the time and I still it's like deeply ingrained in my brain like yeah. like my whole upbringing of just like competition individualism like it's like in there yeah you know
1: yeah no there's a lot of undoing and there's a lot of active. Unlearning that I'm still very much engaged in, and that's what I'm trying to like. Like, I don't want my kids to have to unlearn a lot of shit. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, they're, I mean, I'm sure I'm passing down some weird stuff to them, and <laughs> there's, there's going to be stuff. But, but yeah, like I think about that, and um, I mean, ecology and like nature is a wonderful place to look for it. But then the other place, and that I am looking, is like two other cultures. You know, like the way that we live is a very distinctly American way and in other cultures around the world it's it's not that way you know um and i looked back to and this is not to like i, I like worry about romanticizing you know what i mean or like fetishizing other cultures but like looking back in, to like to like indigenous filipino culture there's a concept called bayanihan which is all like community care and living Right, and I just saw something like NPR posted this. Like one of the like folk art examples of bayanihan is how you just lift a house up and move it because like yeah. the Philippines is very flood prone. And mm-hmm. just yesterday, and they saw people like moving a house. Like this still happens. Like oh, really? Like, lift it up on bamboo. I mean, it's probably
0: enough more yeah. lately. I mean, because of climate change. But yes, yeah, exactly.
1: Climate change or like corporations that are like taking over the yeah, land. like yes, gotta a, move. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, like so. I mean, just reminding ourselves that like we've undone a lot of like communal living and the work like the village right like but that was how people lived around the globe for centuries right again yeah. like what we're doing here is like still like an experiment yeah super recent yes yeah. and it's not working yeah <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's not really working
0: bad. <laughs> um uh so i just i'm i have this one last maybe section to talk about and then we'll go to these questions I guess but um uh I so I had been reading sort of before I read your book I had been reading some other stuff about role social roles and how uh you know like there's nothing necessarily wrong with the idea that there are roles you know everyone plays different roles in their life Mm -hmm. the problem arises when uh someone doesn't make the role their own so like they don't have a real creative relationship to their role okay. which like my example is always like if someone was cooking with a recipe and they were like i need to know how many grains of salt you'd be like no okay. no, no that's for you to decide is- you know <laughs> but they're like what do you mean by dash of salt you know and like i feel like that would be like someone who reads a lot of like really i don't know pragmatic parenting books and like tries to like find like a formula to like produce the optimal child or like something like right. this And like, uh, and I feel like this, your book is sort of like, okay, here's like a role and it's like called mothering. It's not Mm -hmm. just mothers and it's like directed towards, you know, many different types of people. Um, and it has to be done. Um, and like, is there, what is the most meaningful way of relating to this role? And like, in so doing, like that is a creative act, Mm. you know, like it's a creative ingenious act. Hmm. Yeah. And so I was just, uh. And and you talk about sort of like uh, also just like making it less lonely, which I think is part of making it meaningful. Like the washing society example, yeah. which I really loved.
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean, again, there's like all these examples of. Um, I mean, because we've like broken the labor movement in this country, yeah. like it's harder to imagine doing this. But like the, that example is, you know, before before washing machines to be like a laundress was um, it was actually I mean, it was incredibly physically demanding work you're like making soap you're boiling clothes you're like washing them on a board yeah yeah you're ironing them but it was social so like on a like nice day you could like get together with your friends who were also and so this is like this is atlanta like turn of the like at the beginning of the 20th century um and most of the black women and many black women in atlanta worked as laundresses and they got together and they were like this like working conditions are not great like we want more pay and we want like more and so they, I mean, they organized while doing this, like while doing this work, and then they like form, basically formed a union, and we're gonna strike, and then they got their demands, right? And so I think that that's like, again, there's, I don't know, I, I, what I want to say about this too is like with care, um, it's all all work is good work, yeah, right? And I think that there's this um, this idea that care work is it's a myth to say that it's like unskilled labor which and that myth is so that we can pay not pay people to do it you know but it in fact is highly skilled right like again that sort of like intimate bodily knowledge that we were talking about but like household management is like a shit show you know like <laughs> logistics and all that stuff like you could spend all of your time doing that you know yeah. and negotiating right negotiating with irrational people like that's what parenting is you know (laughs) like it's like it's it's really and you know but all of that stuff is i just want to like i want to make care work visible and i also want to insist on like the need to value it yeah like if not financially financially hopefully but but culturally and i think that we would have i think a lot of people would have less trouble um making their role their own um if it didn't feel like they were doing it in isolation and they didn't and it, like the expectation is to never talk about it yeah right and this yeah. idea of mothering too is um you know it's other people but then it's also yourself you know taking care of yourself like that's mothering like you have to do that like you have to bathe at some point you know like you have to feed yourself <laughs> at some point well, <laughs> Every few days, I'm we have loose, like we have like loose bathing standards, um, I think, in our house that my mother was like, ter- like horrified to find out when my daughter <laughs> was like, we only shower like every four or five days at our house. <laughs> but um, but that kind of stuff is really like, it's so basic, you know, and it's extending it to take care of people. But it really like begins with yourself. Like, that's the work that will never go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered if I can I ask you, like you yeah. had mentioned. Yeah in an email like before that, um, cause I, this is like part of the book for sure. Um, and I haven't had a chance to talk about it and I'm just really interested cause I'm always interested <laughs> in what you're thinking about generally. But, um, you talked about like, uh, self-compassion. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well I was, so the reason I was thinking about it was that I have started more and more, more and more of my friends have young children and one of them was saying or has said multiple times, like, you know have i think you know he has a three-year-old and a baby and it's like he's like it really makes you realize that like everything that you think that you have all this like intellectual stuff on top of is mm-hmm. just that like it's just i'm tired yeah i'm i'm scared i'm like i want I'm to 100. be accepted yeah and like that there aren't that many there's i don't know maybe like five right like right um and it's like or like you're tired and you don't know it you need to go to bed like yeah. it's just like and and i was like oh my god it was like i had this like epiphany where i was like <laughs> everything is like reducible to like like fear or like like love and curiosity and like wanting Mm. to go toward and like you can only do the second one if you feel safe yeah like and usually it's like you know someone is around you like making you feel safe yeah um and so i was like (laughs) <laughs> like in in trying to like learn self-compassion for myself like i i realized that i started asking like what is what would like kid what does kid jenny need mm. you know <laughs> like instead of like it's actually just me but like yeah. somehow if i call it like kid jenny right, right. like it makes it it's like oh like she just like needs to eat
1: yeah <laughs> the it's thing that she wants to eat yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah because yeah. we also think about like i mean this is interesting like children have basically this is it's okay. Cause I'm a mom and I'm writing about mothering. So people will understand this when I say like children have like done nothing yeah. to like <laughs> deserve our life except be born, which is enough. Right. So I just say <laughs> that, right. Like just simply by being born, you're deserving of love and care and all of that. But like, we tend to like kid Jenny or like kid Angela. Cause I do that with myself, like without a thought, right. Like the way we would take care of a young person, um, w- more people like are, would be generous to her child than they would be towards an adult right yeah and like why And this is like i mean like why is that you know because our needs are the same yeah um and that sort of like care should not go away like the, the care that we give a child like we should be able to like care for ourselves that way and care for like yeah in adulthood yeah
0: yeah and i think like that need and like the relationship between safety and curiosity and like love doesn't that also doesn't go away Like, I have this, I wanted to tell you about this photo that I have on my desk of my mom. Like, so I'm, like, on some monkey bars, Mm -hmm. and my mom, I don't know, probably, like, five or something, and my mom is, like, holding me in a way where I clearly sort of think that, like, I'm just on the monkey bars, (laughs) but she's like, I got you, you know, Um, and, like, I just, I think a lot about, like, things that she did, like, really early on that made it, like, possible for me to just become like a very curious person and like I still carry that you know but it yeah. also means that I have to learn how to do what she did for myself
1: right and it's hard when that work was like I mean it's great that you have this photo like but the when that work seems and as kids it's like I don't know we want to like protect our children like I don't need my children to see like every single thing I do for them right like but I do I have been more conscious about being like hey like I'm making you dinner, like maybe now's not the time to scream at me. Like maybe now's the time <laughs> to say like, thanks, because like what I'm doing is work. Right. And like, yeah. I love you and I would never stop doing this, but this is work. You yeah. Know what I mean, so I think there's like a, there's this, um, I don't know, maybe someone in the audience knows there's this, I think it's a, it's an Ada Limon poem. Um, and I can't remember the name of it, but she's talking about her mother and there's something there's this image of this rainstorm but like it's I think a a thing that a lot of people realize later in life and she says something like like my god like I have been standing on this whole time like she's like the idea is I'm massacring this but it's like she's not getting wet in this rainstorm and she's like like my god like this whole time I was standing like underneath her jacket and I never knew it yeah yeah, right like she just thought she was like yeah Like she was just sort of like safe, right? Like everyone, I'm going to find this because I feel really bad. Sorry, (laughs) Adelon, that I like, that I really kind of like butcher that because it's so beautiful. And the way the line comes at the end of the poem is when you're like, (gasps) oh, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, that's me. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, So I want, yeah, that's another thing. Like, um, I mean, I think, I mean, that idea of like self-compassion, like that's something too, like when you mentioned it, like I got really excited because I think like a lot of, this book is realizing like in when I like set out to think about how I want to mother. Um, it was very humbling to realize that so much of it is based on how I was mothered, like as a converse in conversation with that. And then also as a reaction Mm -hmm. to that. Um, and accepting that my parents are people who, um, and my own mother, like is just a person. Yeah. (laughs) Like no way ever give me everything. And then realizing, like, I I think, you know, during a period of my life, I was probably, like, angry about that. And now I'm so much more, like, understanding, you know, like, and feeling sort of bad. (laughs) Um, But I've also realized, like, made peace with, um, like, how I've kind of mothered myself, right? (laughs) Like, to, I feel like a lot of this book is me realizing, like, these are the things that I didn't get. But, like, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to, like, be upset about it? Or am I going to, like, take, like, do the work to make myself feel whole so that I can, like, take care of my daughters in a way that feels right yeah
0: I mean earlier today I was thinking about how like you know it's the sort of like classic immigrant parent thing to say like you know I want you to have things that I didn't have and like a lot of times that's like material things but like there's another interpretation of that that I think you can take from this book which is like I want you to have things that I didn't have those things are like emotional resources and like self-love and like being comfortable in your body and like understanding interdependence like
1: yeah, yeah. No, thank you. That's exactly. Yeah. I yeah. did this. Um, I did an event in Seattle with um, a woman, a friend of mine named Mel, who's a she owns a Filipino restaurant and my parents were there. It was very emotional. And she was like speaking directly to my parents and I was looking at my parents. And one of the things we talked about is how like as a child of immigrants, like I'm aware that like everything that's good about my life is because of like a lot of their sacrifice and a lot of their work. Um, so like to me to have choice, like, and to be like a creative person and to mm. be able to be, be curious and have our like life of the mind is right? <laughs> <Like, laughs> because of like a lot of labor, right. Yeah. That they did. Um, and then I think about it. It's like, sometimes I think that that's disappointing to them. Um, sometimes I think they're just really trying to like wrap their mind around it and be supportive in the ways that they can. Um, even though I feel like I still want them to like acknowledge it in a way that I'm not sure they're able to, but, but Mel and I were talking about how like, and this is me crying, like mm-hmm. look, literally looking at my parents, we <laughs> talk about how like, I think actually that the the best way to honor like the work that they have done and all of their sacrifice is to actually fully be me. Yeah. You know, which is like not yeah. a rejection, of them but it is like wanting to um give my children give myself those things that it's like the best possible thing
0: yeah 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 that's beautiful (laughs) (laughs) um okay we i have audience questions that i we should get to yeah um okay um how concerned were you about providing hope and joy in the book not getting bogged down by the neglect of moms and families and did you have a method or a strategy for returning
1: to that hope? Um, I think a lot about I've quoted people. People ask me about hope a lot, and I turn to someone else's words on hope, <laughs> which is there's a um, a writer and abolitionist named Mariam Kaba, who says that hope is a discipline, right? And so that's what I always think about. Is like it's so easy to there's so much to feel really terrible about right now. And I just think about like how we're like, we're just living in this one moment, which is a very specific modern sort of hell. And like the climate aspect of things makes it harder, but like people have lived through really terrible things. Like our ancestors have have lived through very terrible things and like marginalized people in the United States have like been living like this under really hard circumstances for a long time. So there's part of me that is like, I cannot, I literally cannot afford to give up hope and so part of writing this book was like, maybe there's like an aspirational aspect of it it's like writing my place back to like being in touch with that hope yeah you know like writing is um for me s- sort of selfish like i think there's a service component that i feel very strongly about but it is also like i need to be reminded of that and and writing towards that is what's helpful to me
0: yeah I, i've done the same thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're like i think i'm writing to save my life like I, yeah yeah
1: I mean, I think about that, yeah, when people talk about how to do nothing and, like, when you started, how you started writing it and why you started writing it. Yeah, Yeah. this was after the election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: Okay, how does it feel being on a book tour given your feelings, and that has asterisks around it, um, about ambition and earning a living?
1: Hmm. Um, I feel like this is, like, This is just fun, like the book tour is. Like I have, like I do not feel any type of way about it. I feel really like I worked really hard, Um, and like my general stance is like I'm not opposed to working hard. I work hard. I just am never trying to work harder. You know what I mean? Like that's not like I'm not. I'm not like after more, right? And so a book tour is a. I mean, I feel really so fortunate. Like I was just telling Jenny this backstage. Like I was in conversation with my friend Shruti last night. Her name is Shruti Swami and she's a fiction writer and she released two amazing books. One is called A House as a Body. It's short stories. <laughs> and one, the other one is called The Archer. It's a novel and you should buy them because she's a genius. And um, she published both of those books during the pandemic. And like she didn't get to do what I'm doing. Like this is the closest thing you get to like a victory lap. You yeah. know, like I'm always like it's like chariots of fire and I'm like out here, you know. And so I've, I think I just decided like I'm just going to enjoy this. You know, and also, like, this is not my real life. You know, like, it's really fun to be in conversation with people. Like, so many people I admire, like, and to be able to, like, interact with people. But, like, my real life is waiting for me at home. And it is, like, begging a child to put clothes on. You know? <laughs> like, so, yeah, I don't feel like it's, um, yeah, I just think of this as, like, I just decided, like, this is going to be all about enjoyment and fun. And it's been really great oh my god i need yeah. to like take that away for next year for
0: me because <laughs> like i have a lot of i feel a lot of ways about it but, yeah i'm gonna try to like absorb <laughs> well, we can, that we'll talk yeah. about it. We'll talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um okay um ooh, this is a little bit hard to read um how do you think hmm, something Ooh, i don't know if i can read this um home oh homecoming you okay you talk about the concept of homecoming oh, sorry, I can't read the first part before that um how do you think society sorry is, did, does someone recognize this question maybe they can ask it I'm we won't look at you you can yeah it out. yeah yeah <laughs> um so like, yeah sorry. Mm-hmm.
1: um <laughs> yeah i mean i think like we yeah like we our culture does not um let's see here. so like this idea of homecoming like which i write about in the book is you know i don't think i, like, I could not ever like literally return to and i don't want to like i love my complex filipino american family very much <laughs> and like i can't i'm not trying to like undo that but i think that, like the concept of homecoming that i explore in the book is like if if nothing else in america like there are so many, like we live among so many cultures, right? And like if this whole like uh, like, you know, I was told earlier that we were a melting pot, which is like assimilate and like dissolve <laughs> your identity, right? Now we're like a we're like a mixed green salad, right? Like where we're all like and so I but I think about that, it's like why not, like in this concept of homecoming, I and mean, I'm not talking about co-opting other cultures, but like why not take what ideas like work and resonate with us from other cultures and like and try those things right um this is some this is like a thing that i'm like exploring and thinking about um but in terms of like yeah i mean like how we hand down culture is is directly through mothering and caregiving which is um why like i want to like this book is about you know, disrupting that, or like not just dis- God. What a t- bad word to use in <laughs> San Francisco, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean that as like, uh, like <laughs> I, I like took a walk through Salesforce Park, Salesforce Park yeah. today, Salesforce Park today, and I was like, this city really serves up a lot of mixed feelings, like with everything. Yeah. Yep. But I'm sorry for using the word disrupt in this context, but um, <laughs> I mean it in its original sense. <laughs> but I think you know, like when we talk about mothering, like it's mothering is seen as like a super culturally traditional act but i think that actually mothering is deeply radical if we choose to like impart and make consciously make an effort to pass down the values like that we want like i think about how um you know just that idea of like i don't know that i don't know that like the stuff that i want for like our country um will happen like in my lifetime like just pick one of many things like full body autonomy. Right. But like, maybe that could happen during my children's lifetime. But the only way that that happens is if I talk to them about it Mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Um, so yeah. And then I don't know if that answers the question. And then how we subsidize it is just like, I mean, we're a very rich country. Like we could have a more humane society if we chose to right? like the current administration ran on, paid family leave, right? They read, like, promises were made, right? Like, I think that the money is there. It's just about how exactly we get there. I don't know. I will say that I did a really wonderful event with Ai-jen Poo, who's the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, who are, like, they, she is, like, they have never stopped. They've been doing this work for decades. They're, like, on Capitol Hill meeting with senators. They're getting, like, provisions for care, like, written to bills, like, to fund... Early childhood education, right? Like, so I mean, I would say like one of the things you can do is like support people doing that work, like which is a way of getting us closer to subsidizing. So totally. yeah, yeah.
0: I think at some point you also mentioned how few women there are in Congress, which seems like another. We're
1: at an all-time historic high. It's twenty-seven
0: percent right now. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it's a high, but it's low. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, which like obviously ends up, you know, reflecting like a, there's a missing viewpoint. There. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember, um, when was it 20, 2016. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I was never like, Oh yeah. Like Hillary Clinton was my candidate. right? <laughs> like I had like a lot of mixed feelings, but the thing that I came back to when I ultimately was like, Oh, I'm going to vote for her. It was because i I had learned that when, she, after she had Chelsea, she, well, she wrote her law firm's, maternity leave policy Mm. because it didn't exist because um like no woman had ever had a child and returned and so when i i thought about that as like that's who we need in office like we need people like that she's from california like representative katie porter right she's cool she's a single mom (laughs) and she's always like talking about like those issues and it's just like people make decisions based on their lives and like when our lawmakers like are not affected by like any of the things that like all of us are living with. Like, I mean, that's what we have. Yeah. That's what we have now. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh,
0: many of my friends and I are reluctant to have children because of the cognitive dissonance seemingly required to bring children into the world. Does that exist for
1: you? And what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, I don't blame you. I really, uh, I had, I mean, I had my first child eight years ago and it, frankly, it feels like another time. Like I've totally am very, uh, I understand like wrestling with that question more now. And I would say like, if you're unsure and if you don't know how you're going to pay for it, like it's okay. You don't have to have kids. And <laughs> Like I mean, seriously, like I, I don't know. The thing that I want to say though, is that like you don't have to have kids and you don't have to want kids to have like meaningful relationships with them. You know, like this idea of mothering and nurturing, like there are so many ways, like I, I, I I don't know. Like I, I'm glad that I have my children, but I do think a lot about how I direct my care energy outside of our home. Um, And I think that a lot of us have a lot more care energy to give I mean most of us do because I'm a very depleted parent and I'm still thinking about like how to do that right like (laughs) we have that like we have that and I think like when you extend care to someone you actually find that like it is a it's really beautiful I don't know it's like a mystery it's like 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 I had a second child and I was like huh there's actually more love like I didn't like I didn't I was worried like is there enough of it to go around like there is like and so I think um I don't know I, I guess I would just say like if you feel like conflicted about having children like I hear you and I think like you can still show up for children and parents and families and be a part of family in a really meaningful way yeah it doesn't mean you have to have kids
0: I mean I as someone who really relates to that question um (laughs) like I one of the things that frustrates me and and is a reason that like you know everyone should read this book not just someone who's in like a sort of obvious caregiving role is like I'm frustrated that I it's not easier for me to have that kind of relationship. Like to be like mm. the the godparent or like the 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 aloe parent or like the other yeah. acorn woodpecker, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> um like it's it's things are not set up to make that easy. Um, yeah. and like I was thinking about this so sad, but like the same okay so the friend who was like, oh I realized that like having a kid just you know like that's me. Um there was this day when we were visiting those friends and they're neighbors got home and they also have a three-year-old so the two three-year-olds are now like just playing um and then i think there was like a dog involved and then we were all standing outside and, and talking and the woman across the street like came out and her face lit up and she said like oh it's like a real neighborhood
1: and she, like, came
0: over and, like, wanted to, like, hang out, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, like, it was just, like, you know, it's, like, everyone, like, sees that and want, and wants it and goes toward it, you yeah. know? And it's, like, it's just, like, right now I feel like everyone's kind of trying to, like, jerry-rig that, like, yes. with, like, what we have.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think people really, it is, um, it's a deep, I mean, it's a deeply human urge. And I think it's really beautiful to, like, want to belong and like be a part of something and like be in community and yeah it seems so simple but we've just drifted so far from it yeah um yeah and there are so one of the things that i've been thinking about is like how um i was like is there a way like so parents are always encouraged, like, to, to feel like a whole person again. You're supposed to, like, get away from your children, <laughs> right? Which, like, we definitely, like, need that break, right? But I also think about, like, what about, what's, like, the reverse of that? Like, instead of parents trying to escape, like, how about people who don't have dependence? Is there a way to, like incentivize them to like like i've been thinking about things like could we offer people a tax break for like hanging out with children right or like or like going to visit old people right yeah these kinds of things are like i mean we shouldn't have to like financially incentivize it but like we could do things to do that like i feel like we're always trying to live like that idea of freedom like we're trying to live unattached but what if we like just actually tried to make everyone be more attached and yeah. interdependent what would that look like and you know i also think about how again like we've privatized everything right but like what about like the public pool and the community center and the places like you know like um it's like you know other feminist scholars feminist scholars are talking, I mean, they talk about as the commons yeah you know like we've really done away with the commons yeah. and investing in those kinds of things would create more opportunities totally. for people to interact
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I need to ask you this, this, uh, the last question, oh, uh, right. which is a tradition. It's a tradition here to ask our speakers the following question. What is your 60 second idea to change the world?
1: <laughs> um, so I was told at the beginning that we, I was going to be asked this question and then I didn't prepare at all. I've been like, We're just talking. So, I mean, I know this is cheating, but like, I feel like we have had a, 60-minute conversation (laughs) about what I really think is like a way to like change the world, um, which is to, but I'll do it in, I'll do it in 10 seconds, (laughs) which is that I think to change the world, what we need to do is slow down, (laughs) like chill out, (laughs) and take care of each other. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've done too much talking already, Uh,
0: um, okay, our thanks to Angela Garvez for joining us today um, We encourage all of you to pick up a co- your copy of Angela's book here tonight Or at your local uh, independent bookstore If you would like to watch more programs or support the Commonwealth Club's efforts In making virtual and in-person programming possible Please visit commonwealthclub.org online I am Jenny O'Dell, thank you and take care <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast of Inforum from the Commonwealth Club of California. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live or online events at commonwealthclub.org slash Inforum. And join us again soon for another podcast from Inforum. You never know who you'll meet.
2: Outrightinternational.org slash Ukraine. Hello from the employees of the Commonwealth Club. Before we begin, we want to take a moment to acknowledge the international crisis taking place in Ukraine and highlight an organization providing humanitarian assistance to people living in or fleeing Ukraine because of the war. Outright Action International is an organization dedicated to fighting for the human rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, and queer people everywhere. In response to the Russian invasion, Outright established a Ukraine fund to support local partners in Ukraine and neighboring countries who are providing emergency assistance to LGBTIQ people in need of safe shelter, food, medical care, transportation for those fleeing the country, and other types of humanitarian support. Because mainstream humanitarian systems too frequently leave LGBTIQ people behind. We encourage you to learn more about how to support Outright's important work by visiting outrightinternational.org slash Ukraine. Thank you for listening.